This podcast is a Tofop production. Head to tofop.com for more. The following episode of Tofop is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. Tofop advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, hello and thank you for watching. And by the way, this is on video. Mm. Uh, if you're on the Patreon page, you can actually see the videos of this. But I would recommend you don't watch the video this episode because I've not looked in a mirror for a few days. It's fair to say, Charlie, it's been a bit of a rough time. And the first time, time that I've really seen my face is when I came on this call and it's popped up in the window. Mm-hmm. And I do not look well. <laughs> I do not look good. I look like I have had a hard week. You do look like you are the enigmatic bass player for a mid-2000s emo band. Will's Chemical Romance, we'll call them. Oh, well, there's there's been a lot of chemicals, but not too many of them have been artificial. They've both mostly been cleaning chemicals that Bleach. have been being used. Uh, we have... As- we- we have had a lot of people uh, messaging in concerned about us being uh, in this, mm-hmm. this flood zone and a lot of uh, advice. And uh, someone has responded to the claim about bleach, um, saying that vinegar is, in fact, the best thing to use. Bleach does look like it's doing a good job, but doesn't kill like vinegar kills. So I don't know, man. I don't know who to believe. In this era of misinformation, it's you know big bleach versus big vinegar. <laughs> Who's coming out? Yeah, who's winning well, the misinformation war? I will believe that little skipping girl from Melbourne. Yeah, uh, when she gives us advice. Yeah, it's hard to know. Um, but you're on a new system. You're on a new Wi-Fi this week. Uh, Got Starlink installed finally. Yeah. Uh, of all the bad things we've said about Elon Musk over the years, I would like to say he makes quite a nifty uh, satellite-based internet um, system. It, it, it arrived last week. Um, I had it sitting out in the front yard. You meant to install it, obviously, on your roof, clear of obstructions and stuff, but I just wanted to test it out. And even sitting in my front yard, surrounded by obstructions, trees and you know the building, the house and the shed and stuff, it was automatically 10 times faster than the NBN or the fixed wireless that the Australian government has wasted billions of dollars I would say installing, but they haven't even installed it where we live. Billions of dollars not installing. And then bloody Iron Man himself, uh, Elon Musk, comes in um, and says, hey, Australians, if you're in a rural area and you actually want fast internet, he's a bloody satellite, mate. And it's so easy to order. I don't know what happened that first time I went to the Starlink website where I was like, they wanted an American Express card and you know, it seems like a dodgy scam or whatever. Maybe it was just my, my sus on Musk uh, viewpoint that that made me. It also sick. feels like at the moment it feels like you've been got to. Yeah, right. Like, you <laughs> know, because at the start you're all like, "No, nah, this is too hard. You need an American Express card. It's all a con." Fucking Elon Musk. Like, <laughs> what? It, he's like the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. It's all smoke and mirrors. This is bullshit. And then suddenly you're like, "Actually, it's not smoke and mirrors. It's satellites and internet communication." Well, it was the teabaggers that actually brought me around because mm. that was the big sort of topic of discussion when that episode came out. Was a lot of people messaged me to say, hey, man, like either I live in a rural area and I got Starlink and it's the best thing going around or, you know, a friend of mine has got it going. So I did go back. The one thing I'd say about it, though, 
is when it arrives, it looks like, you know, you, you watch a kind of lo-fi sci-fi movie, like a primer or something like that, and the sci-fi device looks really homemade and kind of clunky. That's what it looks like. It arrives in one box, ready to go. So it's literally just the modem and the satellite dish. But it looks like someone built it in their garage. It, it's not sleek and sexy like we're used to with Apple products. It's kind of like chunky and it comes with like a, a 30 meter extension cord just like coiled around like your dad got from Bunnings or something. There's nothing kind of sleek or sexy about it. And then, you know, the installation, which I've just had done now, literally they're just punching holes in walls and roofs just to run this 30 meter extension cord. It's not like, oh, we'll drill a discreet hole in the wall. It's like, no, nah, mate, we've got to punch some holes in your roof and your wall to get this thing working. <laughs> but if it means, because on average, we do an episode of TOEFOP which runs for like an hour and would take me close to five or six hours to upload the audio and the video for Mike to edit. Uh, I do other podcasts, which we know I'm recording for two hours. Sometimes it'd be nine, 10 hours of uploading. And in that time, you know, Gemma has to use the internet. Iona needs to watch Blue, all this other kind of stuff. So this is so much faster. Um, uh, as I'm looking at my uh, upload bar, well, I'm at 95% already. Whereas this time oh, last week- see? See, normally I felt really good with my internet because you'd be like, I'm at 10% and I'm like, I'm at 40% and now you're at 90% and I know. I'm at 40%. I'm the cock of the walk. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, yeah, so we are we are back uh, recording in HD. Um, it's a great time to be talking to a comedian, Will, because as you know, slapping comedians is now legal. Um, if you dislike anything a comedian says, you're allowed to just go up and like slap him in the face. You're allowed to want to slap him. Here's what I would say. That you're absolutely allowed to want to slap a comedian. And I would even argue that you're allowed to challenge a comedian to be slapped. I, over my career, a couple of times I've said things and the people that I've said them about have decided that the best way to respond is by challenging me to a fight. <laughs> and I have always thought that that is absolutely fine. Because when someone challenges you to a fight, you always have the option to say, I decline the challenge. Yeah. Thanks for the offer. Thanks for thinking of me for the fight. Uh, but I'm a bit busy when the fight's on. So you, if you want to fight someone, you're going to have to find someone else to fight. And I feel like that's appropriate for them. They're allowed to be angry at the joke. Like I would have had no problem. I said this to Dave Anthony. People can hear it on the fop this week. But if I'd heard later that Will Smith had slapped Chris Rock in the alleyway behind the Vanity Fair party that night, I would have gone, you probably still shouldn't do that, but you kind of get that. But the mm. idea... The, in your greatest moment, like, you know, you're, you're, you're literally 15 minutes away from the greatest moment of your entire life mm. and you fucked it all up, destroyed your entire career by your own hand when if you just waited 15 minutes, if you just sat on the joke for 15 minutes and decided what it was, like I said this today, but Will Smith could have destroyed Chris Rock's career. If Will Smith had sat in his seat for 15 minutes and he'd had to think about it and he'd won Best Actor, and he'd gone up there and he made his speech and he goes, and finally my wife, you know, and he thanks her for, you know, the enormous contributions that she's made to his life and his career and all these sort of things. And he says, but earlier tonight, I really feel like it went too far. I'm right. here to be, that stuff he kind of said a bit later, which was, I'm here, you know, I get that you're making fun of me, you know, that's totally appropriate on a night like this. I don't want to spoil the fun. That is part of what we do. But there was a couple of, you know, very cheap shots by somebody that I actually really admire and respect, Chris Rock, tonight, who commented on, like, my wife's, you know, condition that she'd been very public about the trauma that it has caused to her. And I just don't think that 
can we from tonight not make nights like this about that let's make nights like this about celebration and not denigration and chris rock's career would have been fucked like for the next six months everybody just would have been like yeah fuck chris rock how how do you spoil their their greatest night but instead chris chris rock's like selling three times as many tickets to his concerts and stuff like the only person this has been good for is chris rock yeah, I cannot wait for Chris Rock's next special. I mean, the crazy thing about it, it was so performative. I was talking to Jem about it because the idea that like, you're right, you know, if he had sort of confronted him at the after party or in an alleyway after the show or whatever, that makes kind of sense. But it's not like, you know, he had this sort of rush of blood where he was like, I'm just like, he is sitting in the most televised awards show in the world, mm. you know, surrounded by cameras. There is obviously a misguided but still a calculation going on in his head which is like i perform this act i defend my wife's honor i'm lauded as like a chivalrous gentleman or or, or whatever was going through his head but when it happened i'm just like well that's good i don't feel like i'll ever watch a will smith movie again now like i always liked will smith i always thought he was so charming in interviews and Mm. seemed sort of self-effacing and you know, didn't seem that changed by Hollywood and even the stuff. I don't know that much about their private life, but, you know, he's still married to the same woman and, you know, whether or not they have changed the dynamics of their relationship to sort of keep themselves together. I admire that. I think it's good that, you know, you sort of stick it out with one person. Uh, but now I'm like, what a fuckhead. <laughs> like, what an absolute D-bag. And it was – I have a similar experience. Like, I don't know what's going on between them and their marriage and, you know, what sort of prompted him to feel like he needed to stand up for Jada like that. But every time I've seen her interviewed, she seems pretty strong of character herself. Like she seems like she can stand up for herself and speak for herself. But I remember when Gemma and I first started dating really early on, she mentioned to me that she hated it when guys like, she doesn't know, strange guys come up and and they'll touch her or put their hands on her or or just take liberties, you know, physically because, you know, it's like, fuck those guys. And we were at a party about a week later and she was on the dance floor dancing with this guy and I saw what I thought was him lean over and kiss her. And so I go charging in and shove this guy who was about like, you know, 6'3", much of it would have beaten the shit out of me. It was like a Will Smith to Chris Rock ratio. And we know there was a, there was a push and shove and we got separated. And I was expecting Jen was going to be like, thank you, my knight in shining armor. But the fucking dressing down I got from her, which is like, fuck you, what are you doing? I don't want to date a guy who's going to react like that. I can stand up for myself. He wasn't. He was asking me where the bathroom was, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. That, that little movie in my mind that I created where I am kind of the hero of this, this scenario, it just didn't eventuate like that. And I'm it was just- the, way, the way that you were screaming, you keep your requests to know where the bathroom is out of my, <laughs> my wife's mouth. Well, like, and my wife's ear. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You-, you are the one who's requesting where the bathroom is in the ear of my wife shall not say that no more. <laughs> I was like, what this guy doing a Shakespearean soliloquy? What the fuck's going on here? Uh, but I saw that. I saw that in what Will did. He was like, okay, time to defend my wife's honor. But just everything about it, I haven't watched the Oscars in years. Like I just find the whole thing a bit of a wank fest anyway. But that just that is the only clip I saw from this year's ceremony. And I'm like, yeah. Well, we were recording uh, Two Guys, One Cup, I think. We were recording one of our podcasts right. when it was on. So Because I remember Amy came down and said, I just saw – the most fucked up thing happened at the Oscars that everyone is going to talk about forever. And in your head, you're just like, 
I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure that this like it's just some sort of like you know tired stunt that they've rolled out. And the first time I watched it, I was like, nah, nah come on, that can't be true. Yeah. Like, like everybody did. Chris Rock didn't put his hand to his face. Like I was putting myself in that situation, going, could I <laughs> resist putting my hand to my face? Like I'd be crying like a baby, even if it didn't get me that hard. I was like, I'm on TV, and you didn't like my joke. <laughs> just those huge, <laughs> ugly, wrenching sobs too, that where you can't quite catch your breath. <laughs> This was meant to be a good moment for me and you hit me on TV. I mean, I think the way Chris Rock handled it was sensational. Like a couple of lines straight after, but Mm. you could see him load the gun. Like he probably had a million jokes ready to go. So many. The amount of things. (laughs) Like if you wanted to, in that moment, you just got. Yeah. Every joke you've ever thought of, you kind of have permission to do it right now and just go. And you saw a couple of them. Yeah. Like, you know, you saw a couple of them just like go through his mind and he just went, you know what? This is not a time for uh, this is not a time for violence. The <laughs> this amount, is a time for me to put this gun away. The amount of self-control was extraordinary. And uh, the fact that he then had to stay on stage and present another award or something like that, wasn't he like Yeah. I mean, and then like had to stand there and still only 30 meters from the guy who assaulted him. And look, I didn't see it afterwards, but then uh, it's like Will Smith wins and gets a standing ovation. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, what? Well, because everybody was in this world of not really knowing what was happening, right? Because it didn't look real and no one could imagine that it could be real. <laughs> yeah, It has to be a bit, right? Yeah. They haven't stopped the show. He's still here. Like, we've now kind of finding out that perhaps they did ask him to leave and he refused to leave, which is even ballsier mm. like the fact that you think no 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 no. like i've been told to leave because i've just assaulted somebody on like international television but like you know what i'm just gonna stay in my seat thank you mm. and you know what you're not gonna get me out of here because i'll slap you I, I just slapped a guy for telling a joke you can't imagine what <laughs> i am capable of so do you think that his like reps like will smith's reps are they in because there's two ways you could approach this, which is like you sort of you you go into damage control mode, mm-hmm. which it looks like what they're doing with the apology and the resigning from the academy, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, or you throw yourself on the sword, or you double down, or you double down and say like, look, he's the biggest star in the world. His wife suffers from this uh, Ill- illness. Um, you know, he was defending her, and he admitted there was a rush of blood. But I reckon that there would be a, a line of thought: the the Ari Gold go on the offensive, ring every studio threaten them you know if you if you if you cancel this project then he's pulling out of this he's got a production company i'm sure there's like tendrils running all through hollywood that are attached to will smith so you could sort of threaten the nuclear option which is like well if you guys cancel will smith i mean you're already seeing it a little bit in online where people are like well you know mel gibson and 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 harvey weinstein and roman roman polanski and all that kind of stuff but will smith's got to go it's like all right <laughs> They should all go. You're right. No, they should all go. That's not the counter. That's not the counter argument. Let's get rid of all of them. Yeah. You know, they can have like a suicide squad Hollywood. They can have a Hollywood full of the people who have been rejected by Hollywood. Well, Will Smith was in the suicide squad, so he's already done the training. He could lead, he could lead the the cancelled Hollywood stars. Yeah, so he goes to Weinstein, he goes to Woody Allen, he goes to like he just collects a whole bunch of these people. Like you've got a pretty interesting studio there for people who don't care about i mean like louis ck's touring to stadiums like there are people who you know clearly don't care about those sort of things so i mean you could 
is there an opportunity for an alt, you know, sort of an alt-right media well, isn't that Hollywood? what, like, Ben Shapiro is building? He's building, like, a like, like the Daily Wire guy. He's building, like, a an alternative right-wing studio, like, to counteract the liberal brainwashing of Disney and stuff, where it's like there's no gay characters and everyone's, you know, the, the husbands work and the wives raise the kids. Like, it's the, the very sort of strict edicts on what stories they're going to tell. So you could definitely send the Suicide Squad stars to that studio. And it's like, yeah, we're only making the most conservative, straight down the line entertainment. Although as I'm saying that, I'm like, that sounds like Australian television. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We don't even have a Suicide Squad, but Channel 9 is pretty much that, right? (laughs) But I do think that there is an element of like – some uh, some bits of the media they need that model to survive, but you know, like they've always been anti Hollywood. Like the right's always been like you know Hollywood's full of liberals. Mm. So why don't they just have in a liberal Hollywood? I mean, let's get those people out of the things that we watch as well, right? Yeah. Like often I'll see Mel Gibson in something that otherwise I would have liked to watch, and I'm like, well, you've spoiled it now. Like I'm not saying Mel shouldn't be able to work, but let's just put him over with like. Like, I'm not going to see Woody Allen or Mel. Mm. So they put Mel in a Woody Allen movie. Like, you know, get them all to work together. Harvey Weinstein will produce it. Yeah. And you can all still work in a world where we don't have to have anything to do with it. I mean, is it, but are we missing the point of the Suicide Squad? Like, so they were put together to do, like, mm. jobs that no one else wanted to do with plausible deniability. Like, is there projects that we could put these guys into where for us or for the studio backing it, it's you know there's no risk and potential huge reward like is it time to kind of make i don't know like the michael jackson biopic (laughs) or something like that yeah but that's what they would do i mean mel gibson already has experience of that he did like hey you've heard about jesus do you want torture to do jesus (laughs) like and then sell it to religious people right? right like he knows how to do this already he's like you know tapping into these sort of audiences that haven't been catered for so that's exactly what you would do. Although you know? I, I did see an interview like a couple of days ago with Mel Gibson. He was promoting some film on mm. Fox News and they tried to get him to comment on the Chris Rock thing. And even Mel was like, oh, I'm not touching that. <laughs> it's like, shit, man. Like when Mel Gibson is going, I'm not touching that. That's gone a bit too far. You're like, oh, wow. Wow. Well, you know, Mel's got some ideas about who runs Hollywood. Yeah. So... You know, he could do a series of mysteries where he blames it all on that spe- specific group of people. They could call them Jew Dunnets. <laughs> and <laughs> now, Will, while we're on the subject of Hollywood, I'm going to give you a multiple choice. Well, not a multiple choice. I'm going to give you two options here of things we can talk about. Um, a few years ago, uh, I can't remember what website, I think it was like um, One Perfect Shot or Film School Rejects released their top 10 time travel films of all time. Uh, Wired released their top 10 yesterday. So we can go through that list. Or a listener has sent us every single Adam Sandler movie ranked from worst to best. What would you like to dip into? Let's do time travel today because we're we're on a limited time schedule today. And I just feel like Sandler, like if we're going to do Sandler, we just might need a little extra time. Well, here's the thing I'd say about the Sandler thing. There's 45 films. To rank, yeah. <laughs> I had so literally just by going through every film, that's another forty-five minutes that we do not have in today's episode. <laughs> yeah. so. um, okay. Well, let's get to the time travel films. Uh, so this was in Wired. Uh, okay, the best time travel movies 
of all time. Now, there's going to be a few that we've spoken about before, but that's fine. We can look at it again. Um, so straight off the bat, let me say Back to the Future is not listed. Now, oh, I think that's... I think that they've just been a bit too clever for their own good. I understand the thinking behind it. They're like, well, let's not include the most famous time travel movie of all time. But I think we can categorically say it is the best time travel movie of all time, yes? It is. Well, it's an iconic time travel movie. You would think that every list would have that on it. You'd think so, but they, I think. Is it because it's been debunked by the Avengers? Is that what happened? <laughs> like, you know, in the, there's that scene in the Avengers where they say that back to the future time travel isn't real time travel. And then maybe they're like, well, we saw that. We can't reward it. I was just saying, there is a disclaimer at the start why they say, okay, so this is, this is, this was written by uh, Will Beddingfield. Um, he says, time, the ravager of youth, the spoiler of milk, humanity's oldest and deadliest foe. Okay, so it's a strong opening. Good, good stuff. Uh, yet well in films, we can conquer time easily, running it forwards and backwards, skipping into the future or past with a simple edit. Filmmakers constantly time travel, so it's no coincidence that there are so many films in which this trick becomes a plot conceit. Yeah, do you reckon that is the inspiration for time travel films? As a filmmaker's going, hey, man, when I edit this movie, it's kind of like I'm traveling through time. I've got an idea for a movie. <laughs> I think every every there is... Every director at some stage goes, look, I'm not getting this to make sense. What if we put in some time travel? We can just travel through time a little bit. Unfortunately for their protagonists, the best time travel films often show us that time's prison is inescapable. Even when these protagonists look like they found a way out from natural wormholes to heretical machines, their fates are usually shown to be predetermined and often they end up in time loops or just dead. Time and death are close companions. I would not have thought that that is the case with most time travel films that time is I thought that time is changeable or at least timelines are changeable you alternate realities you branch off and create a new timeline yeah um, well that's alternate realities though isn't it and are we talking about alternate realities and new worlds or are we just talking about timelines that don't lead to new realities that there's only one future reality and because like Terminator for example originally I think was meant to be it's one reality yep. but then there's versions of that become multiple universes don't they? or do they just keep changing the one timeline to to different things but so hang on at the end of the first terminator she has defeated the terminator and so therefore she's alt she altered the future no she hasn't she's just the, the future's still gonna happen isn't it like judgment day is still gonna happen on 97 it's just that john her, her son will live to fight so you're right that is a predetermined destiny there's there's no changing it's in the sequels that they start branching off into alternate uh, realities. Um, okay, well, um, you've already guessed the first film. Terminator? Terminator. It's a Terminator. <laughs> Although they cheat a little bit because they say Terminator 1 and 2 uh, are time travel films. So they say Terminator 1 and 2 are really quite different movies. In the first, Arnie the Terminator is the bad guy. Oh, fucking hell. I feel like this guy is only oh, just yeah, no, I mean, discovered let's movies. Let's really walk us through it. <laughs> He's sent back in time by a machine overlords to kill a little bit. We know all that. Um, okay. The second is a big budget extravaganza featuring perhaps the greatest special effects movie history relative to its time. Um, all right. He's just reclaiming the plot. He's got no insight on this. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we talked about this last time. Terminator 1, I think, was in the, uh, the other article. Uh, yeah, it's a time travel film, but you think of it more like 
a horror film or a sci-fi film. Mm. The first one's a horror film, like a stalker movie, and the second one's more of like a sci-fi action adventure. So I don't even know I'd necessarily rank it my top five time travel films. How about you? Well, I don't think it's a great time travel film, but no. it's a great film that has time, time travel. travel in it. So it probably makes the list, right? Hmm. Like it was the, it's always the first one I think of because obviously the plot doesn't work if the Terminator doesn't come back in time. The entire premise of the entire series is predicated on like, you know, travel. this robot from the future that has traveled back in time to defeat something in the past. And then the various issues around if you kill something in the past, does it change history or does history just you know, like a river, find a way back to the, yeah, all the water again. And it just might change a few details, but eventually the, the fate is predetermined regardless. So I guess in the classic sense of time travel issues, it's absolutely all of those things. It just doesn't sit around debating those issues. Yeah. Like in a sort of, this is a time travel movie and let's talk about time travel and how it works or doesn't work. They just kind of go, here's how it works for this now. Watch out for this guy. He's trying to kill you. Yeah, exactly. Now we've got that out of the way. Let's get to the guns and yeah. motorbikes. Um, okay. So the second film they've named, you won't, you won't know this. It was an art house French movie that was only 20 minutes long, but you may know the film that it inspired, um, which was, I'll say it's a 90s time travel film directed by an art house director, but starring a big time action star, mainstream action star. That's my clue. Mm. In fact, two big stars. But but mm. at the time, one of them was known for action movies. Art house director. Mm. Famous, uh, famously cursed director whose films often collapse or lose money, but he still gets making them. Oh, not Stanley Kubrick. No. Um, he Former was, Monty Python? Yes. Oh, it is Stanley Kubrick. No. Or, no, it is. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick was not Monty Python. <laughs> it was Stanley Kubrick and Monty Python. Now, which? <laughs> uh, no, he was in Monty Python, but it was not the director of The Shining. Um, um, yes. So uh, I'm, I'm, I can't Terry, his name at the moment, but Terry Gilliam. Terry, so, Terry Gilliam, 12 Monkeys. Okay. Yeah. So they don't list 12 Monkeys in this list, which is surprising, mm. but the film uh, La Jetee, the most famous art house film about time travel, it follows a man sent back from post-World War III dystopia to save the future, only to find the truth behind the traumatic memory from his past. It's only 28 minutes long. The film is a simple series of black and white photographs put to hazy narrative, yet it's captivating. Terry Gilliam turned it to 12 Monkeys, a zany colourful caper, starring Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt, a similarly weird but totally different film. Okay, first of all, get fucked. Like, you're talking about the most famous like, time travel. Don't include your arty little 28-minute French film that's actually a bunch of stills with some hazy voiceover and then dismiss the actual movie by Terry Gilliam starring the – we're talking movies, right? Movie movies. That doesn't count. Yeah, your movie movie wasn't anywhere as good as this series of photographs with narration. <laughs> And I love how he describes 12 Monkeys as a zany, colourful caper. <laughs> That's not really how I would describe it, zany and colourful. I guess wow. it's zany. But- I mean, I would say compared to a series of black and white photographs with narration, it's pretty zany and colourful. Um, okay. Now, the next one, modern sci-fi film, revered modern sci-fi film, um, I believe it was nominated for Oscars. It probably came out, I think it doesn't say when, but I think it was about three or four years ago. Um, and the director of this film has since directed 
a couple of huge sci-fi movies, including one that came out over summer, Australian summer. And he did one before that that was a sequel to a huge science fiction film. If I said Darren, Dennis Villeneuve, do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, the Blade Runner dude. Yeah, Is The Blade Runner dude. Okay, so it's a, it's a yep. Dallas, Dennis Villeneuve film. I don't know how well you know his oeuvre. <laughs> Sorry. He's, Pardon he's my French. <laughs> Dallas Villeneuve. <laughs> do oeuvre. I know he's d- d- Villeneuve? Um <laughs> Uh, no, I don't know. What what movie is it? The Arrival. Have you seen The oh, Arrival? No, you, no, I've not seen The Arrival. Okay. Who's in it? Um, uh, Amy Adams and uh, Jeremy mm. Renner and some aliens, which, again, like Terminator, there is a time uh, – spoilers, I should say, uh, if you haven't seen Arrival and you haven't seen it. But the, the idea of time travel is only kind of revealed right at the very end. It is a kind of core element of this film. But you don't see people time traveling in this movie. So again, I'm like, get fucked. <laughs> like for me, time travel, someone has to get in a machine yeah. or walk through a portal or whatever it is. And it's suddenly like 1930s. Okay. Like, don't give me this bloody highbrow, you know, time isn't linear. We just perceive it that way. You know, all time exists at once. Bullshit. Just give me a bloody DeLorean. That's what I'm saying, Will. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, so far, like this is terrible. Two list. out of three, shit, shit list. That's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I don't like your list, mate. You put Terminator at the top. You got us excited, and then you've just rolled up a couple of like stinkers. real arty farty. Look at me. Look how much I know about films. Yeah, and so even Will in his description says the modern sci- this modern sci-fi classic, and it is a great film. I highly encourage anyone to see it. Follows the alien arrival of giant, peaceful ink inscribing squids. <laughs> Uh, before geopolitical squabbles can escalate the situation into a nuclear exchange, Amy Adams must translate the squid's inky pleas into American English. Spoiler, it relates to time travel. This visually stunning film is based on Story of Your Life, a short story by Ted Chang, one of the best oh. living sci-fi writers. This movie is a great introduction to his writing. Oh, yeah, whatever, mate. Like, we don't want to know about your black and white photographs and your, <laughs> your bloody sci-fi short authors. We're looking for good movies here. We're at the movies, mate. Yeah. We don't need to know about what sci-fi books we need to find from some obscure bloke who you think needs a leg up. He says, this movie is a great introduction to his writing. You know what's a bad introduction to writing? This article, written by you. Yeah, bad. terrible. You. Like, <laughs> and what a flip, too, from in the first Terminator movie – the Terminator is bad. In the second Terminator <laughs> movie, the Terminator is good. And then, like, second one in, he's like, anyway, have you seen these black and white photos <laughs> based on a short story by a sci-fi author from Portugal? Okay. Now, this next one is a favourite of yours. That's the only okay. clue I'm going to give you. Tenet. No. I didn't know that was a favourite of yours. Yeah, but love it. It's a good time travel film too. Um, I believe last time um, we did a time travel list, you 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 mentioned this one right at the top. This is one of your favourite movies of all time. I say that with all uh, confidence. Oh, okay. It's not. Um, it is not strictly a science fiction film. It, you would not stick it in that genre. You would you would stick it in another mainstream genre. Okay. So uh, is it? Um, it's a time travel film, and it's a mainstream time travel film. Well, time travel, or potentially, if I tell you what specific brand of time travel it is, that will give it away. But if you th- if you drill down, that there's certain kinds of time travel films. So some time travel films are person A travels to period B. It's not one mm. of those. 
it involves time performing in a certain way and this person being in that. <laughs> Is it uh, the Tom Baker series of Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> no. It does star. It stars a comedian in the lead role. A comedian in the lead role. Oh, God. No, I can't. I can't oh, you do. I, you know I this. have no idea Early what you Oh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. I thought my clues were good. <laughs> Your clues are fine, but yeah, I guess I don't really consider that to be a time travel movie. It's a time loop movie, which is sort of yeah. I, I don't think he... It doesn't really feel like he travels through time at all because the day resets every day. So to me, like, he's living the same day over and over, but the world isn't going on... Without him, we is it? Know. Well, maybe. Well, how could it be? Well, no. Well, it I guess be, if that was true, when so he... everybody else is also. So there's no element to me of that being a time travel movie. When if 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 everything was going normally, so isn't the estimation that he's been in there for like three thousand years or something like that? Yeah, I think that's what they've said. Yeah. So when he does come out of it, it's like the year five thousand or, or something like that. That would be the only way it would be a time travel film. In the strictest right. terms, right? You're like, it's great that you're really good at piano, but the world's moved on from piano, mate. Like, it's the year 5000. Yes. We're all robots. Who are you? You're dead. That would be a Groundhog Day too, where Bill Murray just spat yeah. back out into reality and finds that, holy shit, 3,000 years have elapsed. Um, okay, so a classic featuring- Bill Everyone you know and loved is dead. Anyway, this is time travel. <laughs> it's a romantic comedy. It's not a time travel. This is a bad list. This is what I'm hearing. This is a terrible list it, about time travel. It, and the, I seem to recall the last list we d did being terrible as well. I think maybe you, it's up to you and I to come up with the definitive best time travel movie list. And I don't know, because time loop movies like Happy Death Day, Palm Springs- there's a few time loop movies seem to be their own kind of genre. So Subgenre. Yeah, I think we have to maybe exclude them. So uh, Will says, this is a classic featuring Bill Murray. He's laid back best. Murray plays a jerkish newsman who wakes up one day to find out he's stuck in a time loop of ground on Groundhog Day. And yes, <laughs> that is where the term comes from. <laughs> It's, do you reckon he is like an alien who has just landed on Earth and somehow got a job at Wired and they're like, hey, Will, we're running late in a deadline. Could you please just write us a list of top 10 time travel films? It's like, well, I better- This is AI. This <laughs> yeah. is no way that a human being actually wrote this in any way. This is absolutely a test by Wired to see how well their AI is working at the moment, I think. So they put it out there. They get a few people to debate it. They see what flaws are in the system. There is no way there is a human being called Will- Bettingfield. Betfield? Yeah. Bettingfield. Will Bettingfield. That, that's even Bet an AI betting, name. Bettingfield. Will Bettingfield. Will Bettingfield. Have you ever heard the name Bettingfield before this? Betting, as in like something you sleep in. Okay. Well, have you ever heard Bettingfield? No. <laughs> no. So either way. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Um, he. right. I'm not going to read you the rest of his synopsis because he literally just re recounts the plot like a, an AI would. Um, but he says, it's still a moving and thoughtful comedy. Um, mm. It's thoughtful. Do you think it's moving? Is it like emotionally resonant? It's emotionally manipulative, technically. Yeah. Like, you know, he essentially learns how to, you know. Trap her. <laughs> trap her by finding out what she likes. So, 
Yeah, it's a little. But what you'd like, if you're putting a positive spin on that, you'd just be like, no, no, he goes on a journey to be a better person and becomes the person he could be. That, But also, he spends 3,000 years learning how to trap her. So it's emotionally manipulative. <laughs> okay, the next film is an, an, another film that kind of bugs you because this is the film that everyone says, oh, if time travel was real, this is uh, how it'd be. Yeah, the boring movie about boring things. <laughs> <laughs> boring Primer? Primer Primer It's yeah. a good film It is boring though It's incredibly Yeah it's totally boring It's totally boring It's good But, it, but it's, it's so good, but It's really boring I've got to tell you It is a very boring good film <laughs> So Will says uh, This is really the time travel movie To beat them all If you really want to get into The nuts and bolts Of time yeah, travel itself It's the fucking default Statement about Primer That everyone makes Oh well, you know If you really want to Analyze time travel It's because they, it's because the guy who wrote it is like, I'm not going to bother explaining any of it. The characters are going to talk like, you know, it's just a real thing and, and therefore we don't have to have any exposition. And people are but like, also, oh, wow. I'm sure that I made this point last time, but I'm going to make the point again, which is that it, it always makes these lists not because it is an amazing movie. It makes the list because it's like, this is the best representation. Yeah. Well, it's not because it can't time travel. So we actually don't know what the best representation of time travel is. <laughs> it may well be a DeLorean. That we might find Back to the Future is the best representation of what time travel is and this boring-ass movie. Because let's be honest, well, I don't know, maybe actually based on your Starlink. Because I was about to say the person who invents time travel technology is also going to want to make it look sexy and feel sexy or be marketable, right? But maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe it's going to be Elon Musk's Starlink style where it does look a little bit homemade. I'm not sure. Well, that I mean, they... Definitely in Primer, it does have that quality. The film was made for something like $12,000 or something, which is another reason why it's so talky and stuff is they don't have a special effects budget. So everything is about – it's basically 90% of the film takes place in a shipping crate with these two guys building a time machine out of like spare parts, and that is what the Starlink looks like. But you're right. I think that people get excited about it just because it feels art house and it feels intellectual, and they use a lot of engineering jargon, mm. clearly – Shane Kerrath, who who wrote the film, has a background in in, in engineering because it's a lot of stuff you don't understand. But I've watched it a few times now, and what I what I do get is that you're not meant to understand it. Like he literally, they could be there speaking another language right. completely, and that's the point. gibberish. It's all gibberish. yeah. That's the point because none of it is actually explaining how time travel works. Exactly because time travel doesn't work. Um, okay, so the next film. This might be a, a confusing clue. If I said fake nose, <laughs> one of the leads is wearing a fake nose. Okay. And it's a mainstream film. Came out, I think, like late 2000, 2010, around that sort of period. Um, starring uh, uh, Looper. Looper. Ah, oh, so it was a good clue. Yeah. Was it? Did the fake nose yes, steer did. you in the right direction? <laughs> now, what's your take on Looper? I know that it sort of had a bit of a – people seemed to like it when it came out and then in the cold light of day, people seem to have been reevaluating it as maybe not being as good a film as they thought. What's your vibe on Looper? So I saw it when it came out and really loved it and haven't really watched it again since. So I could well think what the mainstream evaluation is that like if I watched it again, but – I don't know. Like I watched Donnie. I know this is like not time for us to talk about Donnie Darko, but Donnie Darko um, 
was a movie that at, went, at the time it came out, I was a little underwhelmed by. I could not quite understand why people loved that movie as much as they did. Mm. And I watched that again the other day and was like, oh, fuck me. This is awesome, this film. Like, like I don't know what it was. It just caught me on the right day or I've now seen it enough that I kind of actually like understood vaguely what was like going on. And I was like, this is like a really, really, like I loved it. Like I could easily sit down and watch it again tomorrow. And I think I would like enjoy watching it again. Like I, I just, it just clicked in my head. So, but I haven't rewatched Looper. I don't know if that's yeah. a movie that stands up or not. <laughs> I watched it about a year ago. And here's the one thing I'd say is I really like it. But the element, there is a, the, the plot element of some people having telekinesis seems really out of place. Like you already got this heady concept of time travel and, you know, people having, assassins having to kill themselves to close a loop, you know, once their time's done. That's enough for me to deal with. But you're, then you're also throwing in the fact that some people and this kid have the ability to control people with their minds. Like it's just too much. You didn't need that. Like just right, keep it about. Yeah. Just keep it about the, the the criminals and having to close the loop and one yeah, you got a good hook. You don't need an extra thing. Yeah, it just felt a bit too much. But I do like uh, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, Bruce Willis is excellent. Like, there's certain things that you sort of look at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and you're like, ah, oh, that he's not Bruce Willis, but he just nails a bit of the smirk, kind of like some of the head tilts that Bruce does. He he, he nails it. So Will I mean, says, is it too soon to suggest that we make Joseph Gordon-Levitt become Bruce Willis? Because now that Bruce Willis is obviously sad no sad news that he's got some, you know, pretty severe medical conditions, which had been one of those things that had been talked about and rumored a little bit, but it's been confirmed now that mm. um, you know, he's not in a very good way at all. But like the world's gonna miss Bruce Willis and soon we'll have like the deep fake technology to really make like, you know, the character like you don't need the fake nose, you know, anymore. Like you can deep fake Bruce. Yeah. So could we just like just say to Joseph Gordon Levitt, you can make your little indie projects and all the other things. You can that you rip want off to make. all these artists around on social media. Just take all their, their their voices and their writing. You know what? I actually thought that was the case too when I was watching that, and then I like saw a little investigation into it that says it's not actually quite that. Like, right. apparently, it's one of those things that seems like it must be sus, but when you dig into it, it isn't actually anywhere near as sus as you might expect it is on the surface. Um, but you say, yeah, you can keep doing your little internet projects. You can make your little indie films, but in between, just every now and again, we need you to do a diehard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we just got to get you to do a diehard. I watched um, the new Ghostbusters on Friday night. Hmm. Have you seen it? Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I've downloaded it. I've like, as in, like, I've, I've paid for it to like watch it, and then just never been inspired to watch it. Yeah, it is no good. It is. It's so no good, and and Gemma was surprisingly Gemma was the one who wanted to watch it. Like I, I thought, mm. well, I might I might sneak this in one night when Gemma's gone to bed or doesn't want to watch it. But she's like, oh no, I had this interview with Jason Reitman, and he had all the talked about all you know his motivation and blah blah blah. And then you watch it, and it's like, you know, the weird thing about it is if you think about the original Ghostbusters film, that was essentially a Saturday Night Live sketch writ large. Mm. You know, you had three comedians who were probably right at the top of their game. You got this high concept idea marrying horror and comedy, and it's just this alchemy which, for, for, for no understandable reason, it just works, you know. And but the thing about it is, it's sort of like 
it's self it's self aware. It's sort of taking yeah. the piss about out of the concept at the same time. That's essentially what Bill Murray's doing. He's going around just ad libbing, just rolling his eyes at the camera about how stupid this premise is, <laughs> and it works for that. But then this new version is like you know a, a Disney or a, or, a, or a Stranger Things Spielberg kind of mashup, where they are so reverential about everything to do with Ghostbusters and. And you know, like all the tech in it, all like the you know the the um, the proton packs and the and the Ecto one and stuff. It's all like, oh, here it is. And it's like, this is not what Ghostbusters is. It's kind of like a center gem. It's like if they did a reboot of Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. and they just were like referencing, <laughs> oh, you remember this is the convenience store that Shaun walked into to get his yeah. milk. And it's like, yeah, that was a gag. It wasn't. You're not meant to then reevaluate that. All the like. The fact that the Ecto-1 yeah. is an old hearse that they've turned into this, that's the joke. It's not meant to be, oh, this is a cool car, and when you start yeah. it up, it, mm, mm, it's not the Batmobile, for fuck's sake. And the whole <laughs> film is just, it's like that the whole way through where it's like, oh, now I found this, and it's like, isn't this cool? It's like, no, they weren't cool. The Ghostbusters, they were meant to be these schlubby dudes mm. who stumbled upon this apocalyptic event and just somehow managed to defeat the monster. They're not meant to be these fucking, the Avengers, but that's how they treat it. Um, all right. So next on the list is a film that neither of us have seen and it's an anime. So should we just skip past that one? It's called yep. Your Name. Apparently Will likes it. Okay. Uh, uh, the next film, um, uh, so to, uh, one of your favorite directors. Uh, Christopher Nolan. It's a Christopher yes. Nolan film. Um, yes. But it is not. But it is not Tenet. Christopher Nolan's time travel film, Tenet. Um, uh, is, are they saying Me- Memento is not a time travel film? No. It just, just happens to be out of order. No. Oh, is it um, this uh, Matthew McConaughey space? Yeah, movie? Interstellar. Correct. Mm. Uh, so Will opens by saying where the time travel in Tenet was left largely unexplained. In Interstellar, Nolan actually seems interested in teaching his audience and does an admirable job depicting some of the implications of Einstein's theory of general relativity. The movie's dialogue can be a bit saccharine and vapid. Oh, geez, we're bloody loading up on fucking Chris Nolan. But visit, uh, but the visit to the mountain-high planet of waves where years pass as minutes is just a great piece of cinema worth the price of entry alone. Okay. Did he leave Tenet unexplained? I thought it was kind of explained pretty clearly when you get to the third act and you start seeing everything that you saw playing backwards now playing forwards. Yeah. It's a pretty simple concept actually, Tenet. It's like, you know, you can just move backwards backwards. in time and forwards in time at the same time. And the people who are moving backwards in time can give information to the people who are moving forwards in time. Yeah. uh, I like Interstellar. I, I know people have problems with it and it's very long and stuff, but I, uh, I I quite enjoy it. Justin Hamilton loves it. One of his favorite movies, if not his favorite movie of Christopher Nolan. Wasn't that one of the Justin Hamilton things where he declared he was going to like it before he saw it anyway? Absolutely. Declared. And he, (laughs) and he believed it and he watched it like 10 times at the cinema and he loved it. Um, I, I don't really like space movies as we've talked about a lot on this podcast previously. Uh, okay. The next film on the list is. A film that you're quite fond of, apparently. Oh, uh, Tenet, the movie. No. no. <laughs> Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. A cult classic that skyrocketed Jake Gyllenhaal to massive fame. It's one of those high concept films that bombards you with lore, but really isn't as smart as it thinks it is. <laughs> Holy shit. Mm. Wow. Will loves everything. And now it's just like Donnie Darko is rubbed in the wrong way. It's better just to sit back, let it wash over you. 
including, of course, Frank, the iconic black bunny rabbit who tells Gyllenhaal the world will end in 28 days. It's an important artifact of a certain section of millennial culture. Any Gen, any Gen Z cultural critic trying to understand millennial neuroses should definitely add this film to their research. Yeah, I never thought about it like that, but I guess it is a millennial kind of film. Like, he, he's a teenager in the early 2000s, so that makes him a millennial. That's, I guess, Will, um, Donnie Darko is to millennials as Reality Bites is to us Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> for us, it was just worried about not selling out to MTV. For them, it's about yeah. being addicted to fucking antidepressants and, uh, and being suicidal. Yeah, but that is, like, I mean, I guess it's time travel in the way that it's again an alternate universe thing. Yeah. Like that's the Wormholes theory behind that, isn't it? There's there becomes two two universes and they have to reunite again into one at the end of it. And so is that time travel? I don't know. I mean, what genre would you put it into if it wasn't time travel? Uh, sci fi, I guess. Yeah. I'd say it's like elevated yeah. sci- elevated sci-fi, art house sci-fi. I mean, I'm going to have like a wormholes multi-universe category. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you know, because yeah. if you're going to do the Avengers and, you know, the, the Spider-Verse and all those sort of things. like an, that's- inter- an Interstellar was all about wormholes. That's exactly how they managed to get back was they, they found a wormhole. So you're right. Um, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify it. Like Terminator, I wouldn't classify it immediately as a sci-fi film. It's more of a angsty teen. Well, the great thing is that, that you can actually watch the film, and I think I did the first couple of times without really understanding the sci-fi element of it. Like, you know, it, like like you said, the first few times you just go, oh, there's bits of this that are kind of confusing and I don't really understand, and then you kind of get your head around the idea that there's, you know, two different worlds and, like, you know, they're basically, you know, the timeline is kind of spun off into two different timelines but there is a point where it's going to be reunited into one where only one can exist again and that so there is that element of the film but i think the first couple of times i've watched it i suspected something else was going on but couldn't really put my finger on what what that thing was that was going on it's a really donnie darko is a really interesting example because it didn't do very well when it came out it's like your classic cult movie where it found that it's, its audience you know in art house cinemas and on dvd but it's also one of those examples where if you watch the director's cut, which is like, you know, longer and, and stuff, it is so much worse. <laughs> it's a rare example where the studio had the right idea. Like it's a clear example that the director didn't even really know what he was making. And when you watch the director's cut, it's so much more indulgent and confusing and nothing. It, it's even it's even more just, um, uh, uh, just a mess. It's just a mess. Um, okay. We're on to the last film, Will, which Will's list let me just remind everyone, no Back to the Future on this list as we get to the last film. There's no Back to the Future, but there's this film, um, which is a 1960s classic. Uh, the, it was a series of films, a franchise, which w- has been rebooted in the last 10 years. They've, they've made three films in the reboot series. Um, it was a CGI fest in the reboots. Back in the day, it was a lot of prosthetics. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. So... No Back to the Future, Planet of the Apes. I mean, is it a time travel film? Is it a time travel film where time travel is not an essential? Like I know in Terminator and Planet of the Apes, it is the premise. You are now in a place now because of time travel. But the conflict and everything that takes place has nothing to do with time travel. It's not like a device used. Nothing. No. It's like the start start and the end. The start and the end. It's a bookend. 
well, they don't even know they're in like time traveled at the start. They just think they're in this like they've discovered this planet that is being run by apes, right? Yeah. Like it's only at the end when they reveal that, like you know, spoilers for Planet of the Apes, guys. <laughs> it was Earth all along. Um, oh my god! The passage. I was wrong. <laughs> wrong. It was worth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Uh, so yes, yeah. I, so I, I again don't consider that to be like a classic time travel movie. There's been a lot of these movies where time travel has been very incidental to the plot. Like I would argue in Terminator, at least the entire stakes of the movie have to do with the future and if you can change time. Whereas like that's not the case in Planet of the Apes at all. It's just like literally a reveal. Yeah, that's right. It's just a twist. It's an M. Night Shyamalan yep. time travel film. It's like, oh, right. surprise, you're in a time travel movie. It's not even really. Now, the first sentence in this is my favorite thing that Will's written in this entire article. He says, the original Planet of the Apes is a deeply odd film. <laughs> I was going in. <laughs> expecting to see humans. You must imagine my surprise when everyone was an ape. <laughs> then I looked at the poster and it did say Planet of the Apes and I reevaluated my surprise. The original Planet of the Apes is a deeply odd film. There's something disconcerting about the apes now. <laughs> the prosthetic makeup techniques by artist John Chambers were re revolutionary at the time. But while the prequels with Andy Serkis are certainly more action-packed, the original has got to make uh, the list because it features the most iconic time travel twist in cinema. Charlton's Hest, uh, Charlton Heston's final revelation as he smashes his fist into the beach has been parodied to death, most notably in The Simpsons. Okay, so that is the end of that article. Wholly disappointing. In fact, of that entire What's list, that? I'd say Primer and Looper are the only two time travel films. Yeah. And that you've left out Back to the Future. Like you've literally, like, I mean, you've left out, i got to be honest with you, based on that list, you've left out Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3 that would all make that list just by being more about time travel than anything else that's on the list. Well, we look forward to in the next five years when another one of these lists is released, we can go through and complain. Um, uh, we need to read one bit of mail and then we can go. Okay. But before we get to that, let's plug our Patreon. Um, we've got heaps of new content up there. So as Will mentioned earlier, if you want to watch the full video of an episode of TOEFOP, you can do that by joining our Patreon for any level. So if you've got a dollar to spare, great. If you want to support the show a little bit more, you can pay a little bit more. I've just sent out a whole bunch of posters for people who have signed up at our top tier, which is $20. So uh, you can only, even if you just sign up for a month at 20 bucks, we'll send you an autographed tour poster. Autographed literally by Will and I. I've got a video online as well just to, to prove, to authenticate that we actually did sign <laughs> those posters. Um, and there's also James Fosdyke's amazing comic, Everyone Relax, and he's working on a new issue of Quantum Cop, plus a whole bunch of like behind the scenes photos and bonus episodes. So it's well worth your time to join our Patreon. Uh, will, you're doing shows at the moment or you will be doing shows at some point? Yeah, I should be doing shows at the moment, but apologies to everybody in Melbourne. I could not make it for the first weekend, uh, but I am able to make it out of my house now, which means that I will be heading to Melbourne this week. And so Wednesday night is now the first night of my show. So it means you've only got three weeks. Uh, I've only got uh, five shows a week, so 15 shows in total. And so... It does actually mean that some of them are close to selling out now because obviously we had to find new homes for everybody who'd been in the first weekend. So um, come down and see the show. I've got about 20 minutes of brand new material all about 
floods surprisingly <laughs> so I'm i've sure. had to chuck out a whole bunch of the show and write some new stuff to go in there but uh, i'm looking forward to being in melbourne on a wednesday to do the very first night of logical and then uh, I, I am off to Sydney and Brisbane, also doing the show and other places, hopefully at some stage. And if you want to go to tofop.com, you can check out some of our other podcasts. Uh, Will has Dave Anthony coming back to Fofop for the first time in a long time. What do you guys talk about? Uh, you know, America and climate change, the usual. We play the hits. We won't disappoint anybody. It'll be fine. Dave makes some predictions. Oh, by the way, I think we made fun of Dave for – thinking that the NBA is fixed. Yeah. You know, that's always, I'm like, you know, the one thing he's always like, the NBA is fixed. Yeah. And um, Josh Earl, who is a massive NBA fan, uh, hit me up and said, yeah, no, that period Dave's talking about was definitely fixed. Oh, so really? now that I've got Josh Earl and Dave Anthony, I'm like, I'm starting to suspect that maybe the NBA was fixed. <laughs> um, there's also our AFL podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, which you can find at tofop.com or you can find it exclusively on the Listener app. Just download the Listener app, search Two Guys, One Cup for free. Uh, Will is yet to watch a game of AFL. That might change now that the Bulldogs are actually winning. Um, but uh, it's fun. It's fun being back on the show. And uh, there's also clips of that go up online each week on our Instagram page. And you should also check out Tofop TV on YouTube because we put up clips of Tofop every week. But before we go, one bit of mail. It's a long one, but we whip through it. This is from Jen. Uh, hi, Will and Charlie. So I found myself in a sort of a bin situation and want to ask your perspective. Um, do I go full Charlie or uh, have I went full Charlie? Hang on. Okay. She says, I don't, I'm not really sure what she's saying here. Have I went full Charlie or do I have a legitimate gripe regarding my yard being used as a cut through? I bought a house at the beginning of COVID, which has provided a wonderful and sometimes not so wonderful distraction as we navigate the new circles of hell on earth. <laughs> my house sits on a corner with a large pizza slice shaped yard on the side. So she's got a side yard <laughs> that sticks out mm -hmm. into the intersection where her house is. Uh, cue my move and hundreds of hours of labor later, um, I go hard with landscaping to fix this yard. I even fucked up my shoulder and neck with repetitive use of injury from digging up uh, 100 by two foot total sections of weeds posing as grass. I know all about this. I've just dug up my entire backyard. It is a nightmare. So the first year I transformed the barren pizza slice of yard into something with fresh toppings waiting to be baked into the full fruition of my artistic vision. I tediously edged the property with tall grasses to provide natural fence, um, which is doing a fine job during the growing season. I stuffed the crust. Okay, there's a pizza metaphor going on here. I'm mm. hoping not mm. making you too hungry. Yeah, I had picked that up. <laughs> I stuffed the crust with a native prairie of flowers and grasses and added rocks and flower beds. Um, despite the very noticeable fact that it's now being manically maintained, it's used as a cut through mostly by mail and delivery carriers. So rather than walk a couple of houses down and use the greenway to get from the back street to the house, they cut through the yard and through the middle of my flower beds to get to the front and give me my mail. At first they used the walkway that runs adjacent to the side of my house, but I've blocked this section uh, to deny access. All right. Well, I'm not even sure if we have to go any further because are you saying that there is a thoroughfare that you have blocked and now you're complaining because people are finding alternate access? Because if that's the case, I'm not sure we need to read any further. Will, do you need to comment at this point? I mean, I'm a little in your boat at this stage, which is that our correspondent has rolled into the neighbourhood. Like, like the locals there have been cutting through here for years. You know, this is how the Marmons, this is the Marmons route. Yeah. Every day he cuts through this bit. And you know what? No one's really given a shit about it at that point. So it's been fine. And then you've come in, <laughs> gentrified yeah. that little pizza strip. <laughs> That's right. You know, it used to be a very traditional 
pizza the restaurant. The kids you know? probably you get like a the neighborhood kids probably said, "I'll meet you at the pizza slice." Like yeah. it was probably like right. a you know a, a local thing that you'd reference, and now you've. Yeah, it and your... it was like two, two large families for eight bucks pizza <laughs> yeah. slice. You know, now you're some fancy gourmet pizza restaurant that's coming in charging $18, $22 for a pizza. And they're not even that big. Okay, so she denies uh, denies access. Um, next, I noticed people started crossing where my raspberries were planted. So I fenced that off so that would no longer be trampled. So she's just like... No, she's, just building fences. Just building fences. Well, Americans Donald, are good Donald Trump should have got her involved. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like... Every new obstacle I put up is met with a new path of entry to cut through my yard. So she puts up a block and they just find a new path. The US postal system is so fucked at this point, there is no longer a consistent carrier for a route. So I can't even have a chat with someone because it's all just randos now. Right. I think they're contracting out of some deliveries, but that uh, is a different issue. Outside of the fact that I'm still working on establishing current as well as new flower beds that are in line of being trampled, I also have intentions of enjoying my yard and its budding privacy. Um, offered by the growing grass. The last thing I want to do is be sipping a mixer in my bikinied ass, uh, enjoying the dog pool days of summer, which are the hot days I sit in a dog pool and fantasize about having zero responsibilities. My yard isn't a dating app. I don't want randos swiping by. I relish privacy and have worked too hard to have that interrupted. Um, it's not yet seasonal enough to appreciate yard time, so I've employed an agent of urban chaos by trying to train humans to stay off my goddamn lawn. I brought a motion sensor sprinkler set to blast warning shots. <laughs> whenever someone is up to no good. Am I being unreasonable to go to the extent to bolster my boundaries for privacy? I won't even get into the whole I'm paying loans and taxes part, but it's an invasion of privacy, which is an act of aggression. So I've taken to war. Am I Charlie now? Have I been indoctrinated? Ah, good, good pun. Have I been indoctrinated into some home ownership cult of seemingly petty behavior? Uh, apologies for being long-winded, but this story, the backstory is pertinent. Um, what does a girl do? Um, I mean, firstly, you've gone full Charlie. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Like I've seen it. You've got the exact same mania that gets in Charlie's eyes when he feels like, you know, he's in, in a battle. You are, you're building walls. You're fencing off the area. You're thinking about people finding you on dating apps. Like you're, you've gone, you've lost you're it. down the rabbit hole. Yeah. You've just not dug a raspberry hole in the front yard. <laughs> you've also dug yourself a rabbit hole and you've got full blown privacy. So I think, I mean, the sprinklers for me, that was crazy. what I was just like, you know what? You've won me back. I was <laughs> going to say you've gone too far, but the sprinklers to me is like, that is a little, you know, home alone style mayhem that you have brought to your yard. So I'm going to say lean into it. Okay. I want the whole thing to be booby trapped. Yeah. Like this is your proper front yard. You want a series. I mean, this is because then if some of those pesky people from the dating apps recognize it regardless, they'll step in, they'll go to pick a raspberry and they'll explode Yeah, because you've rigged something like the landmine in your raspberry patch. Yeah. I mean, you should just watch First Blood again. Just look at those those traps yeah. that John Rambo jury rigs in the jungle. A couple of logs tied to ropes, a spike pit. Watch First Blood and Home Alone yeah. and then just combine what you've learned from those two into what you need for your yard. <laughs> Uh, okay, Jen, thank you for writing into us. If you want to contact us, you can email tofop at gmail.com or just go to our website. It's probably the easiest way to do that. Go to tofop.com. There's a little contact form down the bottom. But thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week. I'm Charlie Clawson. Well, I'm Will Anderson.
This podcast is a TOEFOP production. Head to TOEFOP.com for more. Cool things for cool people.